The OnePlus 8 and OnePlus 8 Pro are out, and we don't have a device to review. But what we do have are friends around the tech space who have reviewed it. So we're going to circle the internet with a review roundup. Plus, some of you might be wondering how the sausage is made. So this week, I'm going to lay out a little gear that I use to make the magic happen. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and despite all my best efforts, I was not able to procure a review unit for the OnePlus 8. Yet. I've still got a few ideas in that regard, so stay tuned. But for today, we're going to do a review roundup of the devices that are more focused on iPhone killing rather than flagship killing. Plus, we're going to do a little What's in My Bag segment designed to give you a little insight into the show, and yeah... I'll be honest, it's to make a little money for me. And by the way, this is a friendly reminder that until the quarantine is lifted, all proceeds generated by this podcast will be going to charitable endeavors related to COVID-19. So if you want to help support the show and COVID relief efforts, become a patron, pick up some merch, or do some shopping. And we'll get to that. But first, let's dive into the news of the week. This week, Samsung announced that it would finally kill off Bixby. No, that's actually not true, but it probably should be. Rather, Samsung is killing off S-Voice, which is like Bixby's grandmother or something like that. S-Voice came on early in Samsung phones and later on wearables, and soon it'll come on nothing. This is a long time coming and long overdue for the underused voice assistant that was worse than Google, worse than Alexa, and even worse than Siri, if you can believe it. And let's face it, when Apple's voice assistant is giving you lessons, it's time to drop out of school and just go flip some burgers or something. Back in 2016, Foxconn, who is famous for making iPhones in China, pledged to build a new factory worth billions with a B dollars and thousands of jobs in Wisconsin. At the time, campaigning Donald Trump hailed it as a victory for the U.S., but more importantly, you know, a victory for him. Fast forward four years and there is no factory. Foxconn has scaled back its plan to just building several, air quote, innovation centers throughout the state. The only problem is, those innovation centers are completely empty. Like, not coronavirus empty, like, no desks, no chairs, even walls. Like, nothing has been done to the buildings that Foxconn owns throughout Wisconsin. Now, this is par for the course for Foxconn, who loves to come in, make grand promises, and deliver precisely dick. They've done it in countries around the world and in multiple states in the U.S. And no one really knows why Foxconn actually does this. Taxes or something? The fact is, when Foxconn says it's going to do anything outside of China, you have to take it with a grain of salt, or you can do what Wisconsin and Donald Trump did, take it with a grain of salt and billions of dollars in tax incentives. Nice work, Wisconsin. According to Bloomberg, Apple will design its next generation of iPhone after design modifications made to the iPad. Haven't the two pretty much always looked like each other? Anyway, notably, the next iPhone will have a flat screen and LiDAR on the back of the phone because we need more LiDAR these days. Presumably, this is due to Apple's big push into AR and VR, which has been building for the last two years or so. So will the next iPhone look radically different than the iPhone 11? Probably not, but it will look just different enough so that you'll be able to tell at a glance if your friends have the latest iPhone or if they're poor. 
Other rumors suggest that the next iPhone will have four models compatible with 5G. Still not positive I'd believe that, but at this point, it really doesn't make much of a difference. Speaking of Apple, the iPhone SE came out this week in just one size, the 4.7-inch model, and if that seems tiny by today's standards, well, it is. But the BlackBerry Key 2 had a 4.5-inch screen, and I used the hell out of that phone. The SE is basically an iPhone 11 packed into an iPhone 8 body, complete with home button, fingerprint sensor, no notch, and, unfortunately, no headphone jack. The device comes in white, black, and red, the red one is the one we'll be reviewing when it comes sometime in May. I ordered this phone for a few reasons. First, I haven't used an iPhone as a daily driver in years. Despite the fact that I'm writing the script on an iPad, which I do use daily, I kind of want to remember what using the phone is like. Second, it's hard to beat the price point of $399, and it's also tax deductible. And third, it's a significant device with so many other phones launching at $700, $800, and up, and up. Let's see what life is like on a $400 phone. Now, does that mean I'll be ordering a Pixel 4a when it comes out as well? Maybe. It depends on how convincing I can be with my wife. Stay tuned. There's a crowdsourced project to put a name to all 16.1 million colors on the RGB spectrum. Folks can visit colornames.org and vote for the latest color names proposed. My favorites include A Rock I Found, Fiona Apple, I Can't Believe It's Not Salmon, and Color No One Should Use. There's also Pen 15 Pink, and dude, if your penis is that color, you need to go see a doctor. Now, you can also name colors if you want. When you go to the site, you can choose a random color, or you can do what I did and enter a specific HTML color value, which is how Benefit of the Dowd Gold got named. If you want to upvote that one, it's hashtag E8CE31, but don't you dare recommend another name. I'm watching you. Here's a new thing coming to the podcast, voicemail. That's right, you listen to my voice every week, so it seems only fair I give you the opportunity to make me listen to yours. You can dial 312-725-4684 and leave me a voicemail. Fun fact, on a phone dial, that spells out 312-PAL-GOTH. I tried for something better, but what can you do, am I right? Now, I say so on the outgoing message, but you should be aware, if you leave me a voicemail, I might just play it on the podcast. So watch what you say, buster. I hope we can all have some fun with that. So you sit down to enjoy a nice feature film on your phone, as one does, and two characters are talking to each other. And then suddenly, blah, 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 blah. Explosions are blowing out your eardrums, and you hurry over to your phone to turn it down. And then the explosions settle down, and two people start talking again. And you're like, what the hell? I have to turn it up again. Well, Reddit seems to have the answer for you, and the answer is that movie companies are mixing the sound for Dolby 5.1 surround sound. Dialogue is typically reserved for center channels, while music and sound effects get mixed to other speakers. So when you listen through a stereo or mono device, the device basically tries to remix the sound, and it generally does a bad job. The key is to select stereo tracks for audio output. Which is great, except, at least in my world, most people watch stuff on their phones and tablets, especially when they're coming from streaming services like Netflix. So why don't those apps default to stereo mixing? Who knows? I guess everyone just needs a Dolby 5.1 setup, even though I haven't had a working TV in my house for like three years. But, yeah, what do I know? 
Of course, at the same time, I need to acknowledge that while I'm over here whining about watching movies on my phone, Quibi, Quibi, whatever, the video content service created specifically for smartphones is kowtowing to users who want to watch Quibi's, Qu Quibi, what's the pearl of Quibi? Whatever. People want to watch them on their TVs. I get it. But then one of the cool things about Quibi is the fact that you can watch in portrait or landscape and get different experiences for either one. They actually make content creators create both in both orientations specifically so that users can do that. So this whole watching on TV thing is kind of shooting themselves in the foot. But I guess if the masses want it, the masses get it. The New York Times wrote an in-depth profile of Weird Al Yankovic, and sure, I know that's not really a tech thing, except for three things. One, Weird Al is all about those Pentiums. Two, Weird Al's entire career is a triumph for nerds and geeks everywhere. And three, it's my podcast and it's Weird Al and he's awesome. I learned a lot about Mr. Yankovic and it was a fun read, so be sure to check it out. Link in the show notes. Over the weekend, we discovered that Disney hired video editors and effects creators specifically to cover up Daryl Hannah's butt in the movie Splash. And they did it with crappy CGI hair that looks fake AF. This cover-up, blah, came out in a viral tweet from over the weekend. And the thing is, Splash is a PG movie, but only because it came out about three months before the PG-13 rating was even invented. So Splash got in on a loophole and should live in a PG-13 world. The Verge also points out that Hulk's naked butt in Thor Ragnarok remains uncovered. So what gives? This is kind of a revisionist history that's really irritating. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. And Daryl Hannah's butt came out literally, to movie theaters over 20 years ago. They were fine with it then, and by all rights, they should be fine with it now. At least as much as Hulk's butt, anyway. Regardless, that's what we're left with, and God forbid anything should tarnish Disney's precious children. Speaking of Disney, on Star Wars Day, and may the 4th be with you, BT Dubs, Disney Plus will release an eight-part documentary series about the making of The Mandalorian because Season 2 of The Mandalorian isn't done yet, and Disney has started to realize that The Mandalorian is the reason why 40 million of its current 50 million people subscribe to Disney Plus. The other 10 million subscribed to see Daryl Hannah's butt, and we all know how that went. Well, anyway, the hooks are in, so yes, I will watch a documentary series, but I'll resent it the whole time, I promise. Okay, no, I won't. Damn it. Ricardo Acosta is a developer over at Microsoft, and he's got a little side hustle going on. That side hustle comes in the form of an Oculus Quest game called Unplugged Air Guitar. We got a trailer for the game over the weekend. Just as it sounds, Unplugged Air Guitar uses hand tracking to get you to play a guitar similar to Rock Band or Guitar Hero. The difference is, is that you're playing a virtual guitar with different fingerings, and it just looks crazy to play. Right now, hand tracking is a beta feature on the Oculus Quest, and this is a side project for Acosta, so frankly a lot of things need to come together to make this game a reality, but just the fact that he's gotten enough done to actually make a demo for the trailer is impressive progress so far. If and when it ever comes out, I'm picking that one the hell up. 
I have to admit, I'm a fan of Dell laptops. Dell, call me. I've had an XPS since 2015, and that keyboard is just hot! I mean, sure, the laptop has flaws, not the least of which is the nose angle webcam that came out that year. But I love, love, love that keyboard so hard! Up until recently, it's been the best keyboard that I've ever used, which we'll get to later in this episode, actually. When you think about it, it's not crazy to have strong feelings about a laptop keyboard. Aside from the screen, it's the thing that you use the most, so why not, right? Maybe I'm alone here, but this is my hill and damn it, I'm gonna die on it. Anyway, The Verge's review of a Dell XPS 13 calls it the best thin and light laptop, which is wonderful, but the review also validates my opinion by highlighting the keyboard and touchpad in the review. It's just so good, and it's awesome that it's so good. When I go laptop shopping, It'll be for Adele. Call it irrational. I don't care. Aside from extraterrestrial life, scientists have long been searching for another Earth, or an Earth 2, if you will. I'm not really sure why. It's not like we'll be able to get there anytime soon. But for what it's worth, we think we may have found one. Kepler-1649c is 300 light-years away from Earth and has similar size and estimated temperature and is within the habitable zone of its sun. Of course, the planet also orbits a red dwarf star, which is known for stellar flare-ups, and scientists believe that this might make it challenging to live on. Back on this Earth, we're also dealing with an orange dwarf who is known for flare-ups, and I can tell you for certain that life here is challenging as hell. Maybe I'll just take my chances on Kepler-1649c. Amazon's Alexa takes a lot of crap from me, and most of it is well-earned. In my experience, Amazon's virtual assistant is good for little more than checking the weather, ordering things from Amazon, and controlling the one smart plug I bought for $5 that only works with Alexa. So naturally, Amazon wanted to make Alexa better. Not at doing normal tasks, like being, you know useful. No, Amazon is working on improving Alexa's longer form voice, as if anyone wants to hear her talk more. The funny thing is, though, I'm not really sure what I'd want Alexa to do other than just be more like Google. I swear, I wish Amazon and Google would just kiss and make up and release an assistant that has Amazon's hardware and Google's software. Maybe then, when I'm in the family room and ask Google what the fastest land mammal is, the Google home in the kitchen won't respond, and that would just be super awesome. Apple wants your laptop to last longer, so it's making a change in how your laptop charges and rut row. No, this isn't the same thing as the battery change it made to iPhones when it got sued. This is a change to how the battery charges. Basically, if you leave your laptop plugged in all the time, like I do, an update will change how your battery performs. It'll analyze the battery temperature and charge it appropriately. It'll also look at how that battery is used. Does it stay topped off all the time, or does it frequently discharge and then recharge? Based on that behavior, the MacBook will decide how it charges. Of course, then Apple will be missing out on that sweet, sweet battery replacement money, but we appreciate it all the same. Well done, Apple. And in a move that surprises no one, Facebook is calling back its plans for its cryptocurrency. There's a lot of economic BS in here that I'll never understand, but basically, instead of backing Libra with different money and different currencies and government debt, it'll actually tie Libra's value to actual money. It seems rolling out a cryptocurrency to 2.5 billion with a B users made governing bodies a little scared about that. Can't imagine why. 
I'll be totally honest here. I've been reporting on the tech sector for years now, and I still only have a vague clue as to what cryptocurrency is or why it's even useful. It seems to me any currency is only valuable to people who value it, and frankly, not enough people value it since Bitcoin went away. And just stop right there, nerds. When I say away, I mean out of the public consciousness. I know it still exists, but at this point... I'm still not exactly sure why. Regardless, I don't use Facebook and I won't use Libra, but this just seemed like an opportunity to be grumpy. So now I'm grumpy. And now I'm done. And finally, Star Wars wants to get on board the Zoom train by providing backgrounds for your Zoom meetings. StarWars.com features what amounts to Zoom wallpapers for the Imperial Throne Room and Hoth, the Millennium Falcon, and more. Just go to the link on the blog and you can download these wallpapers just in time for Star Wars Day. And once again, I reiterate, may the 4th be with you. You probably shop at Amazon, right? Sure you do. I shop there, honestly, probably way more than I should. Fortunately, there's a great way that you can do what you do and help out the show at the same time. If you visit benefitofadoubt.com support, you'll find a link to my Amazon store. There's a few sections in there, including my everyday carries and other products that I've reviewed and or talked about on the show. So you can pick something up from there, or if nothing there suits your fancy, go ahead and search up something else on Amazon and buy that. Either way, I'll get a small commission and it won't cost you a thing. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadow.com support. That's benefitofadow.com support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofthedow.com support. I hope you visit, and as always, I thank you for listening. This week saw the release of one of the most important phones of the year. OnePlus unveiled the OnePlus 8 and OnePlus 8 Pro. And while they're very similar, they're also very different from each other, and it's definitely worth a segment to chat about them. I'll start with my overall impressions of the launch event, and then we'll see what the reviews around the web have to say. OnePlus greeted us on Tuesday morning with a socially distanced spokesperson in an empty auditorium for some damn reason. My guess is OnePlus couldn't get the deposit back, so what the hell, we'll just film it here. It was a bit echoey, but not too bad. Would have been a lot better with a room full of people, but I digress. Now, according to OnePlus, they are the number four premium smartphone brand in the world, and I'm not sure if that includes or excludes Apple. OnePlus was quick to point out that it was maintaining its relationship with T-Mobile, which is awesome. Then it revealed that it would also be coming to Verizon, and that's a real coup. T-Mobile is a much bigger carrier these days with the acquisition of Sprint, but putting a OnePlus phone in Verizon stores across the U.S. is a major win, and well-played OnePlus. Now, it seems both T-Mobile and Verizon have opted to go with the OnePlus 8 rather than the 8 Pro, which, I'll be honest, kind of sucks, but whatever, carriers, you do you. Throughout the presentation for both the OnePlus 8 and OnePlus 8 Pro, OnePlus could not shut up about design. Design, 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 design. Gets really annoying, doesn't it? Design, design, design. Anyway, the reviewer's guide actually listed, quote, burdenless design as a feature, and I'm not even kidding about that. So after OnePlus was done bragging about its design, it took a slight pause, and then it went right back to bragging about its design. We get it, OnePlus. You can shut up now. 
The OnePlus 8 Pro brings some features that people have been clamoring for for years. IP68 water resistance and wireless charging to be precise. IP68 water resistance is a big deal and wireless charging is a nice have. Now, OnePlus has been holding back on both of those for quite a while. We'll talk about water resistance later, but according to Michael Fisher, OnePlus has been holding back on wireless charging because it wasn't fast enough for them. It's an arguable point, but it's kind of weak. Now, OnePlus's wireless charging clocks in at 30 watts, which is in the upper echelon of wireless charging speeds. According to OnePlus, you can get a 50% charge in just 30 minutes. When you use the wired warp charger, you can get 60% in 30 minutes. So yeah, they beefed up the wireless charging game before they put it in their phone, and I guess good for them. Now for the specifications. The OnePlus 8 Pro has a 120Hz QHD display with 240Hz touch rate. The screen is 6.78 inches across and supports 10-bit color depth. According to OnePlus, that means it can handle a billion colors, as opposed to the paltry 16 million you'll get from an 8-bit display. Only 16 million. Sheesh. Both phones are built with the Snapdragon 865 and naturally 5G modem, and the OnePlus 8 Pro comes with a battery just a hair over 4500 mAh. All this rests under the display that OnePlus was also very quick and very long-winded to brag about. It's the best display that DisplayMate has ever tested. Fast and smooth stuff. Folks, I gotta be honest here, my eyes glazed over during the display stuff. The display on a phone is never gonna be a huge seller for me. It can break a phone for sure. Crappy displays are crappy after all, but it won't sell me one ever. Getting into the cameras, the OnePlus 8 Pro has two 48 megapixel sensors, one for the main camera and one for the ultra-wide camera. Add to that a 3x optical 8 megapixel sensor and a 5 megapixel color sensor thing that OnePlus was proud of, but no reviewer can figure out what the hell it's for. And those are your four domino dots on the back of the phone. On the front is a punch hole camera at 16 megapixels in a punch hole that OnePlus was quick to point out is only 3.8 millimeters across. Not not 4 millimeters because that would be absurd. 3.8, baby. The OnePlus 8, meanwhile, has the same 48 megapixel main sensor, 16 megapixel ultra wide, and 2 megapixel macro lens. While we're at it, the OnePlus 8 has no IP rating, no wireless charging, a slightly smaller battery, and a slightly smaller display, which is FHD Plus, by the way. And the pricing starts at $699 for the OnePlus 8 and goes up by $100 for every tier up to $999. Now, here's the thing. The OnePlus 8 is a fairly minor step down from the OnePlus 8 Pro, and you can look at that in one of two ways. On the one hand, the base model OnePlus 8 is a great deal at $699, and who needs the 8 Pro? I've gotten almost everything I need right here. On the other hand, the 8 Pro is only $200 more, and I'm fairly certain that the only reason the OnePlus 8 exists is to satisfy the fanboys by saying the pricing starts at $699. You won't want the $699 model, but the pricing starts at $699. I don't know, that kind of makes the OnePlus 8 ring false to me. It seems like OnePlus is trying to have its cake and eat it too. On the other hand, maybe the OnePlus 8 Pro is OnePlus's way of launching itself into true flagship territory. Let's listen to what Michael Fisher has to say about the OnePlus 8 Pro. A OnePlus phone without as many compromises. Folks, this is it. At a buck under 900 to start, it's not the totally insane deal that OnePlus phones used to be. And I understand the frustration of those who see that as a betrayal. 
as OnePlus living long enough to see itself become the villain. But what the company has done here is give us the biggest upgrades we've been asking for for years, and it's still a hundred bucks less than Samsung's Galaxy S20. And at the end of the day, the OnePlus 8 Pro is still a great way to get some of the best of Android for less. Just not as much less. Building to that point, Tech Radar says, quote, The OnePlus 8 Pro is a proper flagship phone. No more cutting corners. No more flagship killer underdog mantra. OnePlus is now officially mixing it with the biggest names in mobile. It means the 8 Pro is also its most expensive handset to date, but there's plenty of bang for your buck to justify the cost. Plus, it's still a shade cheaper than rival Samsung, Apple, and Huawei smartphones. So, I really like the idea that OnePlus is stopping the compromises and actually never settling. And by all reports, this is a true flagship in every sense of the word. No more compromise. And in my world, the area where OnePlus has never compromised, well, they never meant to compromise, but they totally did, was the camera. So how is the camera on the OnePlus 8 Pro? I'll let Dieter Bone at The Verge tell you. Let's just talk results. So on the main sensor, I'm pretty happy with dynamic range. I'm pretty happy with color. And I'm also really, really happy with detail. I love using this phone for macro photos too. You can get pretty close and get really, really fine detail there as well. You can shoot 4K 30 video with their super steady, you know, stabilization thing turned on. Now, when it comes to night mode, I was actually very impressed with this thing. It held its own up against a Pixel 4, iPhone 11 Pro, or a Galaxy S20. Did not expect that out of this phone. So everything is great, but there is that one place where it falls down. And weirdly, it's in like dim lighting, not super low light, but like, you know, twilight, kind of dark, kind of yellow lighting. And here's what happens. So the OnePlus 8 Pro wants to do what a lot of phones want to do, which is slightly brighten faces, try to make them more even and also smooth them out just a little bit. I don't like that very much, but it's fine. In most lighting conditions, you can't really tell. But for some reason in dim lighting condition, this phone's worst tendencies just get multiplied. It makes my face way too bright, way too smooth. It oversmooths. It's kind of, well, it's kind of a bummer. Portrait mode is fine. It's portrait mode. It's about what I expected here. Basically, overall, if they can fix that dim lighting issue, they would hit like a solid B plus or maybe even an A minus on this thing. They're just not quite there. So now let's talk about that pricing. Should you buy the OnePlus 8? Should you buy the OnePlus 8 Pro? Well, David Amell over at Android Authority has thoughts. Let's say you compare the OnePlus 8 Pro to the Samsung Galaxy S20 Plus. That's still $300 cheaper than that device, and it offers a lot of the same things and then some. Obviously, you're not getting everything that the S20 Plus offers, but it is a very competitive option for $300 less. As far as the OnePlus 8 is concerned, it's a little bit harder for me to recommend because OnePlus is still selling the OnePlus 7T and the OnePlus 7 Pro at $499. And at $200 less than this phone, those are really compelling options. All you're really getting out of the OnePlus 8 compared to those phones is the 865 and 5G. And unless you really need those things, I feel like I would just go with the OnePlus 7T instead. So yeah, about that price. Stepping up from the OnePlus 7 Pro to the OnePlus 8 is a tiny, tiny step, but it's a $200 step. It's hard to recommend that. And for the record, David also mentioned that Verizon jacks up the price of the OnePlus 8 because of millimeter wave 5G, and folks, don't get a millimeter wave 5G phone. Just 
don't. So that's where we are with this phone. Gone, long, long, long gone are the days of the cheap OnePlus air quote flagship killers. Guess what? They're flagships now. Luke walked into that throne room and sliced the Emperor in twain, and his journey to the dark side is now complete. OnePlus just pulled up a chair to the great smartphone feast with Apple and Samsung and looked each of them in turn in the eye and dared them to protest. And OnePlus still undercut them while doing it. It's been a fascinating journey for OnePlus from plucky startup, which, let's be honest, it never really was, but we all let ourselves believe that it was. And now OnePlus is there, Fast and smooth is the mantra now, and that's great. Will it be enough to carry OnePlus forward? Make no mistake, OnePlus left that original passionate community behind a long time ago. It's now building a new community that's probably a little less passionate, but a whole lot bigger. And that's a good trade. As for me... Speaking of trades, I'm going to see what kind of trade-in deals T-Mobile has for the OnePlus 6T that I currently own and see if maybe I can swing a OnePlus 8. Probably not, to be honest, but I'll see what I can manage for you, my dear listeners. In the meantime, though, we took a nice little audio tour of the best reviewers out there and we drew some of our own conclusions as well. And that, to me, is a successful review roundup. Some of you may be wondering, man, Adam, you've been doing this podcasting thing for a long time. When are you going to shut up? And honestly, that's a fair question. And the answer is never. But some of you might be wondering, what kind of gear do you use to do that thing you do? And I'm here to share with you a quick roundup of some of the gear I use to make this podcast and get through day-to-day life. Now, before we get started, I need to tell you that the show notes for this podcast will link to a list on the site, and that list will have links to help you buy this stuff I'm about to talk about. And if you do, you'll actually be helping out the show as well. So if you happen to be in the market, you'd be doing me a favor. So now that we've disclaimered the heck out of this thing, let's get to it. Let's start with basic gear for the podcast. I record my podcast on a five-year-old MacBook that Apple doesn't even sell anymore, but I record it using a Shure 55SH microphone. You might know that as the Elvis mic, because anytime you've seen any old-timey microphone, this is probably that microphone. I connect that to my computer with a Behringer Euphoria UMC 202 HD audio interface. Now, you don't have to go that crazy if you don't want to. Many podcasters use the Blue Yeti microphone. That's practically an icon in the podcasting space. When I'm out and about, which, now that I'm not doing a daily podcast, doesn't really happen as nearly as often, but when it does, I use a Shure SM58 microphone and a Zoom H5 recorder. The Shure SM58 is the stock microphone that just about every performance artist uses because it's durable, it's dynamic, and it sounds pretty good. The Zoom H5 recorder is super handy and portable, and it has its own mics built in if you don't feel like fumbling around with extra wires. The built-in microphones aren't great, so I fumble, and this is an audio shrug. The super nice thing about the Zoom is that it can act as its own USB audio interface, so in a pinch, you can connect a mic to your computer using the Zoom. It's pretty badass. For mixing, I use the Audio-Technica ATH-M40X headphones, which provide a really nice balanced sound and have good isolation. When you're mixing, it's not all about being bass-heavy. You want as flat a sound as possible, and the M40Xs do a great job. The link I provided in the show notes is for the latest generation, which is the M50Xs, which are just as good. Now, when I'm out and about, I use one of two laptops. Well, one's a laptop, and one is quickly becoming my favorite laptop. 
The laptop is a Lenovo X1 third generation ThinkPad. I love this laptop because it has a huge 13 inch screen, fingerprint reader, and it's a two in one. And the really cool thing about it is when you flip the keyboard to the back, the keys on the keyboard actually retract into the body so you get a smooth surface on the back. It's really neat. Now, when I need to edit podcasts on the go, I use the Plantronics Backbeat 500 series headphones, which are not as balanced as the Audio-Technica's, but they are smaller and more compact, so they travel better. Additionally, these are meant for music and podcasts on the go, so they have built-in controls on the ear cups for playing and pausing music, etc. I really dig these when I want on-ear headphones, and they make up the first of the Plantronics hat trick, as I like to call them, because when I'm not editing, I use two other Plantronics headsets. When I'm not wearing a jacket, so during the spring and summer and early fall months, I use the Plantronics Voyager 6200 UC neckband headphones. As the name suggests, they are a neckband with dangly earbuds that you pop in and out as you need them. They've got playback and volume controls and an assistant button, plus noise cancellation, which is great when you're driving with the windows down. And this noise cancellation is really good. So great that I really miss them during the winter because they're not great to wear when you have a coat on. So that's when I switch over to the Backbeat Fit 3100s. These earbuds are meant more for runners, and that's great because it makes them waterproof and sweatproof, and they're true wireless earbuds, so they come in a compact case. The touch-sensitive pads on each ear allow for assistant access and volume controls. There's a lot of functionality built into these things, but there's no noise cancellation, which is why I don't wear them when my coat comes off. Again, audio shrug. Recently, as a secondary writing machine, I've been using a 10.2-inch iPad, not Pro, 7th generation, along with a Bridge keyboard attachment. I'll be doing a full review on the Bridge keyboard in the not-too-distant future, but folks, this keyboard is cherry. I love, love, love typing on this keyboard, and it's accelerated my use of the iPad by a ton. The only downside is I haven't figured out a good way to record a podcast on the iPad yet, but I am working on it. As for the rest of my stuff in my bag, an everyday carry kind of thing, here's what I got. These days, I carry the LG V60 with dual-screen case, and that's the one that I reviewed last week. For some reason, you can't buy the LG V60 on Amazon, so I've included a link to the LG G8X, because why not? The LG G8X is everything the V60 is, but smaller, without 5G, but you don't really need 5G, so it's okay. In my pocket, I always carry a Kershaw knife, and everyone always asks me why I carry a knife with me and then they usually ask me to borrow it. So, how about that? I also love my Kindle Paperwhite reader. True story, this year my New Year's resolution was to read more, and I got myself a Kindle to help out, and boy howdy have I been reading. And now you might be wondering, what bag do I put all this in? Well, I have a Mobile Edge gaming backpack, and the main reason I have that is because the backpack has an exterior USB port for charging with a battery that's in the backpack. Plus, there's pockets for everything, and most of my gear fits in its own little compartment, so I know where everything is. Plus, I also prefer using gaming backpacks because they tend to be taller so that you can transport your own keyboard. I don't game, so I don't transport a keyboard, but I appreciate the length of the backpack. So that's me. I'll be sure to include lists like this from time to time on the podcast so you can keep up with some of the tech goodies that are out there because I am nothing if not a service podcast. (laughs) 
So that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I hope you enjoyed this look at the OnePlus 8, which I don't have, and all the other gear, which I do. Remember, we have a new voicemail number, so if you want to say hi, hit us up at 312-725-4684. I'd love to hear from you. Please take the time to review this show. And by the way, if you leave a review on Podchaser.com, Podchaser is donating 25 cents per podcast review to COVID-19 relief efforts. So do that. Or review on iTunes, please, if you get a chance. And as always, I thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>